0: Welcome to the EMS on the Mountain podcast, a show for those interested in austere and wilderness medicine. This podcast provides insight into the unique aspects and challenges of bringing modern EMS into wilderness and austere environments. Welcome back to another episode of EMS on the Mountain. Today, we're going to continue with our hypothermia series. And the next in line, this one's titled, quite dramatically, The Thermodynamics of the Oral Treatment of Mild Hypothermia. And you could include mild to moderate,
1: severe, certainly not. But with that, I think Mike's going to lead us off. Yeah, man. All right. This should, this should be a pretty quick episode. But we did want to dive into the details around treating mild hypothermia, most of the framework here, again, comes from the Wilderness Medical Society Clinical Practice Guidelines for the Out-of-Hospital Evaluation and Treatment of Accidental Hypothermia. In other words, this is directly from the WMS guidelines that we referenced in the previous episode. It provides an excellent summary of the management of hypothermia. And essentially, the gist is, here, here's, the, here's the bluff for my, uh, the folks that know what a bluff is. It recommends you should take in high carbohydrate liquids and foods and uh, make them shiver or help them have the energy to shiver. That's going to fix them gooder than anything else you're going to do as a provider. However, let's talk about the details. So vigorous shivering has been shown to increase thermogenesis by five times the resting metabolic rate. And it can raise your core temperature by up to three to four degrees Celsius per hour. So if you're cold and you're shivering, you can warm yourself. I know that's going to come as a shock to a lot of the folks, especially those (laughs) with medical training that are listening to our podcast, that it turns out the human condition, once again, that when we get cold, we shiver to get warmer, it actually works. I know it seems like a shocker, but the gist is if you have enough energy to shiver and you're warm enough to shiver and you shiver, you'll get warmer. I
0: think something that's, I just want to point this out is a lot of people don't really understand that the body is shivering to make body heat. A lot of people just see it as a symptom. Of being cold, and not the the body's movement to make heat.
1: Yeah, that's so. actually a really good point. I guess the the best analogy I can come up with on the fly while we're recording this is in the same way that when your body gets cold, you shunt blood. Right? We talk about that all the time in school. Right? You're not going to get a good pulse ox reading on cold people. You're, you're all the blood shunted to the core to keep things warm. It's the same fundamental process. Like exactly, the body is shivering to generate heat so that it can stay warm. It is it is a, a self-preservation mechanism. It's not just a symptom. It's actually a process. And for the entire basis of the theme of this podcast, if you can support the process of shivering, you will actually help your patients get warmer. Now, there's a huge caveat here. <laughs> if you're soaking wet and you're wearing a bunch of wool clothing that is soaking wet or down clothing that is soaking wet and you start shivering, you're not going to be shivering forever, Right. <laughs> the warm and dry mantra still applies. They need to be out of the cold and you need to support the shivering to help them warm up and you need to retain as much heat that is being generated through the process of shivering as possible. But anyway, just to close the loop on the three to four degrees per hour, fundamentally, if your patient has a temperature of 35 degrees Celsius, which is 95 degrees Fahrenheit, give or take, we can raise their temperature up to 37 degrees Celsius or 98.6 degrees Fahrenheit in about an hour if they're dry and they're off, you know, they're not doing convection or conduction, and they're shivering, and they're, we're supplying enough energy to produce shivering, we're going to be in a pretty good spot. So dry them off and help them <laughs> shiver. <laughs> that's well, problem, yeah. right Look, way to put it. Yeah, help them yeah. shiver. Well, I mean, essentially,
0: that's it, right? So the best way to get a patient warm is to let them use their own natural process. You know, let homeostasis function. So with that, how do we help them get warmer via shivering? So as Mike mentioned, we got to get them dry. And get as much extra insulation on on them as we can within within reason within the field, right? Mike and I go in with insulation for ourselves. We've certainly shared a jacket or a fleece with a patient more than more than once in the last mm-hmm. few years. We've been doing this. We've both lost a couple of fleece jackets and tops. I know two patients as we've had them evacuated. It happens. But the big thing, right? So being cold and wet, that's that's bad. So you you've got to. At least get rid of the wet primarily because the wet's going to help them, or it's going to speed up the getting colder process. So you've got to get them dry, and then you can work on getting them warmer. So drinking warm fluids. So this is probably the easiest way to help them get that core temperature up and increase their heat and their ability to produce it. Right. So just warm water is not really the way to go. So drinking a bunch of hot water while well, it gives a, a bit of a psychological boost, and there is a a very minimal physiological benefit to it. It really isn't doing much for your patient other than giving them warm water to drink, right? You'd have to drink a lot of it. And when we say hot water, we're talking heated to 140 degrees Fahrenheit. I don't carry a thermometer for measuring water temp in the
1: field, you know? So I you use pinnacle. my patient's rectal thermometer and then I just have them drink it. <laughs> uh, there, there you go. Yeah. Dual use, right? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, Michael. <laughs> Michael, Michael.
0: So again, you know, referencing back to I the Wilderness Medical Society. Yeah. What were you though? No. Side note and a bit of humor. How do we tell the difference between an oral and a rectal thermometer? Taste it. Taste, of course. All right. <laughs> <Ba-dum-bum>. <laughs> we'll be here all night. Thank you. Hashtag dad jokes. <laughs> I don't know if that's a dad joke. That's just a, that's a, just a bad old EMS joke. All right. So <laughs> that's fair. again, Sorry. Wilderness Sorry. Medical Society. In order to raise the patient's body temperature from that 34 up to a 37 degrees Celsius, right? So to get them up to basically their normal thermic 98.6, they would need to drink 8.1 liters of water heated to 140 degrees. Now, let's think about trying to force feed your patient eight liters of water. Most people don't drink eight liters of water in a day. So trying to heat your emergent hypothermic patient by just having them drink a boatload of water is extremely unlikely. Dude, that's that, like,
1: I just did the quick math. That's like over two gallons of water. No one drinks that, a gallon of water a day, much less two, unless they're like healthy in the gym hard and, and <laughs> popping that creatine, right? That's, that's what I'm saying is, is realistically having
0: a patient drink eight. And again, that eight liters is eight Nalgene bottles if we're putting that simply for folks. Um, yeah. Full-size Nalgene bottles, not the little guys. Yeah, having your patient drink eight bottles of hot water is just not realistic. Will it help? Certainly but it's not realistic. They're going to drink that eight liters, maybe over an 18-hour period with you, you know, perhaps less, depending on what's going on. But let's be honest, getting your patient to drink eight liters of water while they're
1: hypothermic is is just not the way it's going to go, right? Get your patient to drink eight liters of water when they're not experiencing any sort of medical emergency and they're just simply drinking water. And I'd like to see you get somebody to drink eight liters of water in a timely manner.
0: (laughs) Right, okay. And then so naturally, all of the EMS folks out there, particularly our ALS friends, but wait, what if I use heated IV fluids? This is probably the greatest fallacy when it comes to treating hypothermia within the wilderness EMS community is the use of heated IV fluids is going to somehow miraculously turn your patient around and reverse their hypothermic state. And the answer to that is no. Okay. So warm IV fluids Their biggest benefit is A, if it's indicated and they need fluid, which they probably do, let's be honest. Warm fluids help prevent the further dropping of your patient's core temp. It helps them maintain whatever temperature they were at when you found them, but it's not going to effectively increase their temperature. So there have actually been several studies with this, right? And they've actually done a whole lot of math based on metabolic rates, body temperatures, average responses to fluids. And so they built this algorithm. And for those that are interested, you can find these, most of them are on PubMed, Uh, look up these studies and you can check them out. A lot of them, some of these are based on in the hospital, pre and post-surgical, and there are a few that are related to pre-hospital use, but they're all based on the same model. So with that, typically expected core temperature change is about 0.2 to 1.4 degrees Celsius per. 30 ml per kilo of a crystalloid bolus. Now, again, that's going to fluctuate a little bit depending on the starting temperature of your patient and a little bit on the starting temperature of the fluid. So we're assuming the fluid is above 98.6. It should be, best case, at least 104 when you're introducing it into your patient for this to be at least effective. And for those of you that are curious, what does this mean? So one degree Celsius equals 1.8 degrees Fahrenheit. So we're going to break that down. Me, I'm a full-figured gentleman weighing in at about an even. Yeah, go ahead and say it. Yeah. <laughs> I was just going to say, you're, you're 100 kilograms. I'll give it to you. Yeah, right. So I, I'm just about an even 100 kilos right now. So if we're going to go with this 30 ml per kilo, quick math, that's going to be 3,000 mls or three liters. So you've got to give me three liters of warmed fluid to raise my temperature one to two degrees. Now, let's think about that. Is the value proposition really there to get me from 95 to
1: 96.5 with three liters of fluid? And I'm going to say the answer is. No. If you want to see what a cold guy that's really doughy looks like, because I think we've discussed another podcast that about 50% of all the fluid you put into somebody's vasculature ends up in the interstitial space. So that is correct. A liter and a half of fluid, give or take, is going to end up in.
0: Oh, yeah. As much <laughs> as two liters can end up in the interstitials, right?
1: Yeah. Which basically would be in other medical scenarios, like, you know, older folk with heart problems, you, with yeah. that much fluid retention, you'd be like, huh, we should probably give them Lasix to get that fluid off. So oh, I don't, I don't know why their lungs suddenly sound bad, <laughs> right? It's so weird. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, so again, I mean, if we just discuss current modern EMS and ALS providers providing crystalloid fluids in any given scenario, the administration of three liters of fluid is usually way, way, way up the top end of that, right? Most places are using 250 to 500 ml boluses and then seeing where your patient's at. Even with patients who are severely dehydrated, three liters is a lot of fluid to be pushing intravenously. Not saying it it isn't done and it can't be done. I mean, there are certainly patients who've taken three liters and more like without hesitation. And let's not confuse hyperthermic fluid administration with hypothermic, right? There's going to be a difference, right? We're talking strictly
1: hypothermia here, your cold patients. For those of you that might not be a medical practitioner, that means cold people, not hot people.
0: (laughs) This is, I mean, true. We have an audience that isn't all. That isn't all medical
1: providers. So that is true,
0: right? Yeah. A lot of them aren't at really any, any level. So, so again, you got to think about that. And then the next part of that is, are you staying and hanging out in the environment to give this three liters? Are you trying to administer this during an evacuation? Uh, If your patient's really pretty cold, the best thing you can do is get them walking, generate that body heat, right? But that we're going to discuss that a little bit more here about how to help them with that. So you got to think about that. You know, the administration of three liters of Portland, warm- the next best piece, right? And we're just going to mention this briefly. How are you exactly warming fluids? Are you starting with them warm, toss them in your pack, trying to insulate them as best you can, and then administrating to your patient when you get to them? Or do you actually carry a portable fluid warmer with you? The service Mike and I run with does have think at
1: least one right now yeah we have a q uh, and flow right it's my portable fluid
0: warmer uh,
1: uh, and i'm almost positive with... i'm gonna i'm gonna throw myself under the bus here and say i don't remember if, like with a hundred percent certainty but I th- i'm like 99 percent sure that a q and flow will get saline to 104 degrees yeah i'm right, pretty right? sure yeah it's 104 right yep. so that's it's what we're getting into that threshold for warm fluids but, uh, uh, but again that's the threshold for helping you not get colder That is correct. Yes. And a Q and Flow, even the new one, the new one that doesn't have the big ring on it, if anybody's Mm. familiar with the Q and Flow, you can Google them. The new ones are smaller. The actual heating module is not that big, but you still have to carry all that fluid in and you have to have enough batteries and enough juice and enough time to maintain their body temperature, which is less than ideal when we're talking about helping someone. Again, we're in the, we're still conscious and alert and able to appropriately respond and protect our airway, there's much better ways to support the body's ability to produce heat as opposed to putting heat into the body using fluid. Yeah. No. So,
0: um, yeah, there's, and there's a lot of other good examples people have used. If you're doing your reading on this later, just because you want to kind of dig into this and see if we're, we're bullshitting here or not. We are. Uh, the, the analogy is like, think about the amount of fluid inside the human body and then compare that. Cause again, you're not dropping three liters into my body. That rapidly, even if I put a 16 gauge IV into your arm in a super large awesome vein, using pressure infusers, which you really can 't use with like a Q and flow with a heater right because they have to flow at a certain rate for them to heat the fluid you 're not flowing that fast, and you're putting if you think about it, take a five gallon bucket of lukewarm to cold water, drop a full liter of one hundred and four degree water in there and see how much it changes the temp right and the answer is it's going to be minimal so mm-hmm. Again, that's just another example. If you got to think about the entire human body and all the fluid that's contained within, I mean, how much are we of water? About seventy percent. So, give or take, I'm about seventy-two percent. But yeah, give or take. Well, I'm retaining a little right now, so I'll call myself seventy-four. Mm-hmm.
1: All right. So, yeah. okay. Back to the discussion. Right. <laughs> oh, this is going to be a horrible episode. Yeah, you win some, you lose some. Yeah. What hey, can you do? Sometimes
0: people appreciate the discussion. You guys ought to sit around the table with us up on duty. This is. What we do. This is, this is really, we're, we're dark. Except, to, except there's some more colorful language thrown at each other. Yeah. So, bottom Usually, line, something about one's mother as well. So, yeah. all the researchers in almost every one of these studies, whether it's in, in the hospital treating hypothermia or pre hospitally trying to treat the same status, the researchers have found that warmed intravenous fluids help to keep the core temperature at or about the temperature it started at. So, what you're doing is helping people not get colder. But you're not really helping them to get warmer. And in one of these studies I pulled, right, giving them warm fluid kept them a half a degree warmer than that of room temperature fluids. So let that one sink in. Giving them 104 degree fluid only marginally kept them warmer than average room temperature stuff. So if you call average room temperature, even if you called it 80 something degrees, which most rooms are not 80 degrees, right? Yeah, that's a bit warmer right, by okay. a half a degree, right? Again, it just kind of puts things in perspective. Intravenous fluids, warmed or not, are not the magical cure-all for hypothermia. So sorry, my ALS no. friends. If you've got warm fluids, always use warm fluids. I mean, when I'm on the ambulance, all of my patients always get the warm fluid bags yeah. off the warmer,
1: right? I'm I don't ever grab cold fluid. Nope, I don't either. I always grab warm fluid out of the fluid warmer, especially since Hinte Hinte, for those that didn't know this, if you have a fluid warmer, like one of those, Mylar type bags with a little insulation in it and some heating elements in it that your fluid lives in on your truck, you should really be rotating those bags of fluid at least once every 30 days. So if you're just leaving the heated fluid sit in those bags in the warmer bags and you're only using it for cold people, the, the fluid is probably not the best thing to be using anyway. Because once you heat saline, it needs to be rotated on a pretty regular basis. Yeah. And there you go. Another nugget no- of knowledge for your ass pack of negative knowledge. <laughs> um, right, so, how right. do we help them, right? Yeah. 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 How are we going to talk them, about right. how we do help them? So, I just want to reiterate one more time, for the purpose of reiteration, to reiterate that uh, what we're explicitly talking about in this episode is oral treatment of mild hypothermia. What we've talked about so far is you can dump all the warm fluid you want in via IV. You can do a bunch of fancy pants ALS things, but at the end of the day, just to recap. You can dump a whole bunch of fluid into somebody and maybe raise them one degree Celsius, whereas the act of shivering can raise your core temperature by three to four degrees Celsius per hour. That is significantly better than one degree with fluid sitting still. So we're back to we got to get up and walk and we've got to support the shivering mechanism. We should not be trying to stop the shivering. We should be trying to get them warm enough that they no longer has a physiologically wise feel the need to shiver. The body is not wanting to shiver because it is warmed up to the point where we don't need to shiver. And to shiver requires calories because shivering is the act of moving your muscles. So this really comes down to the best thing you can do for a conscious patient that's hypothermic is to support their caloric needs and help them have the energy to shiver. So let's, we've got some, uh, we've got some statistics and some data that Sean pulled here, but uh, the kicker is fuel drives thermogenesis. So we need to provide hydration and calories, right? If you're dehydrated, it's hard to metabolize food. It just is, right? The, if you're super dehydrated, metabolism is hard. So if they are dehydrated, you want to provide reasonable hydration, ideally using warm fluids, oral intake, and carbohydrates are going to be much better than complex fats, proteins, things like that. Sean pulled some great numbers here. I, I kind of find this fascinating. Uh, so hot cocoa versus Mountain Dew. Mountain Dew's gooder, barely. <laughs> I'm going to go with, it's just easier to carry into the woods the Swiss Miss dried powder cocoa mix and bring a stove and heat it up and feed it to them than it is to be like, hold on, let me get this Mountain Dew 2-liter bottle out of my pack <laughs> and then put it on the stove and heat it to yeah. 104 degrees and be like, here, sure, sir, please enjoy your, uh, your Mountain Dew. Also, Here's by your the way... <laughs> here's your here's your caffeinated hot sugar water that looks like neon pee. But if something like Mountain Dew or Pepsi or Coke or, you know, soda is available, even if it's room temperature or warmed, it's not the end of the world. In my opinion, this is just my opinion, warm Pepsi is better than warm Mountain Dew <laughs> like any day of the week. But the point here is uh, Swiss Miss Cocoa Mix, Campbell's Chicken Noodle Soup, 150 calories. Things like Swiss Miss, things like Cocoa Mixes, I'm personally kind of partial to, uh, apple cider, like the powdered apple cider mix in the winter on a cold day. And here's the caveat to all of the above, right? Regardless
0: of what you're going to use, you can't use the sugar-free, fat-free Swiss miss. I was right? just going to say that. Right? That just, that defeats the purpose of <laughs> giving them those calories, right? You've got to get the full fat, full sugar. You got to give them the full Monty, right? Yeah. Otherwise yep. you're
1: not feeding them the calories to help that build energy. And, up. and just to... Just to say the obvious, if they're diabetic, monitor their sugar, but don't not give them calories because it turns out that at yeah. this period in time, the being cold is more detrimental to their health than their insulin levels as compared to their sugar levels in
0: their blood, right? Yeah, this, yeah, this becomes an interesting dance, but you've got to think about, yeah. you got to fix the one thing that's going to do the most damage now, which would be the cold. Yeah. you got to do the
1: dance, right? So we're going to start with hot fluids. We need the fluids, we need the heat, we need the simple calories. So, I mean, I think I'm going to go get the Swiss... By the way, you're just you're failing as a provider if you're getting the Swiss Miss without the little like marshmallows in it. You got to have the marshmallows, right? <laughs> Everybody needs the delightful marshmallows. <laughs> but if you don't have the marshmallows, it's fine. It's better than nothing. So the Swiss Miss with the marshmallows, ideally, or some sort of cider, some sort of simple sugar concoction. And then if they can eat, once again, we're not having a steak dinner, right? We're looking for simple sugars and you want to slowly move toward more complex carbohydrates. This is actually, I'll take another page out of the book of the diabetic emergency situation, right? Once a diabetic, let's say you get a line or you don't get a line, you hit him with the glucagon, right? What's the first thing we do as providers when somebody says, I don't want to go to the hospital. We say, well, let me make you a peanut butter sandwich, right? Gotta feed him. Gotta feed him, right? That same thing applies. The little packets of peanut butter would be good complex carbohydrates with, Simple sugars in them uh, yep. grab a snickers, right? Snickers oh, is actually yeah. a relatively balanced deal there. Be careful not to break your teeth if it's really, really cold out, but <laughs> uh, snickers is is actually some people would disagree with this, but from a just from a caloric intake perspective, the nuts and the caramel plus the chocolate and the nougat like it's actually a pretty well balanced thing when you're trying to get simple sugars and and start moving toward complex carbohydrates to burn stuff off, yeah again, um,
0: you got to think about this. I'm not trying to work about or work around your health concerns, I need to give you calories that your body can process fairly quickly that you can begin to use that energy to continue shivering and make yeah. your body heat and fix your problem.
1: And quite frankly, this just this is an N of 1. This is Damcott's experience in life. But for the years and years and years that I did search and rescue work, There was nothing better than like a Snickers as opposed to, you know, some crummy, super uber healthy, like granola bar. Nah, I mean, granola is fine, but there's nothing like a good Snickers when you're in the woods. Like it's just tasty and delicious. So I'll
0: give you, um, well, and I'll give you the only other caveat is as, as a provider, if you're carrying snacks to provide other people, I hate to be this guy, but do be aware. (laughs) Make sure they don't have a nut allergy. (laughs) Exactly. Right. So you might want to have some alternate available snacks. Yeah. I mean. Those people that that those people that are allergic know they're allergic, and if you have, and really, it's very difficult to find protein bars, power bars, whatever it is, whether it's a Cliff Bar or a Snickers Bar or something in between that doesn't have some sort of allergen in it, right? So, yep, just it's just another consideration for you to think about. You know, if you're carrying stuff specifically to give to patients and not just yourself, do keep that in mind. Again, it's just something to it is worth the the back of your head for sure. Yeah,
1: yeah. But look, the key takeaway here, let's, we've thrown around a bunch of brand names. We don't get sponsored by anybody. We're probably going to get in trouble for saying, eat this, don't eat that, whatever. It's fine. There's only like seven of you that listen to us. But <laughs> the kicker here is my ALS providers, anybody that's awake and conscious and able to protect their airway, the BLS treatments for hypothermia are going to be way gooder for your patient than trying to go all fancy and go super fancy guy ALS, right? Unless you're a medical doctor, you happen to be a facility and you're like, oh, we're going to go ahead and do like abdominal lavage. You're not going to do any better than giving them the, the food they need to produce their own heat. And then, you know, if we're getting into a survival scenario, the supplemental start a fire, get them dry, that sort of stuff. But what I'll call traditional ALS interventions that we would use on the quote unquote street on a medic unit just are not going to be as effective as giving them warm fluids and feeding them some good food. Yeah. And let's be honest. Uh for those of us who ride ambulances in the urban environment, I have
0: blankets and a heater. I can make the back of my truck 95 degrees pretty quick. So I have yeah, that going for true. me. All right. So yeah, moving from simple to complex carbs. And really that applies to a prolonged field care type scenario when you might be at a, at a clinic somewhere, disaster area, or a very prolonged carryout. Like once they're starting to do better and you can start giving them bigger, more solid foods to continue the burn, then go for it. Last little note I have in here before we wrap it up. And I just found this interesting and it's definitely something you need to keep in mind considering the physiology of your patients that we meet, right? So the military's done a boatload of studies on cold weather exposure. And what they have found is, and this is probably going to come as no shock to anyone, but it's definitely worth remembering. Things like exertional fatigue, a negative caloric balance, sleep deprivation, dehydration, etc. cetera. (laughs) Sean Connery, etc. Um <laughs> that was pretty good, right? No?
1: Okay. Oh, no, I'm bad.
0: So all of these things together or individually have all been shown to to blunt the shivering process, right? And slow down thermogenesis. So for those of us who work in a wilderness environment, folks that have been out camping, hiking, backpacking, whatever it is, think about that. Is there exertional fatigue at play? Probably. Is there a negative caloric balance? Probably, depending on the hiker. Sleep deprivation? Eh, maybe, maybe not. But you're going to have some compounding physiological problems they are going to help slow down their ability to shiver and build that body heat, which is why you have to get on it pretty quick, right? Get them warm, get them dry, and start feeding them, getting those warm, high-calorie fluids in them, feed them if they can tolerate it. And if necessary, if they definitely need fluids and you can provide, give them a bag of warmed, normal saline, then yeah, give them the bag at the same time. Don't delay treatment or other, we'll call it evacuation, right? Just to give them that bag of fluid while you're sitting there. But if they're sitting there for a minute and you're, you know, you're making them the hot cocoa to drink, you're starting to feed them that Snickers bar that you've kept in your front pocket. So it's nice and warm and soft, not the Mm -hmm. lid of your pack. So it's a little chunk of frozen Snickers or candy bar of your choice. Give them those warm fluids, give them the warm fluids in their body, try to help some of that dehydration, give them those warm fluids to drink Plus the warm fluids is a big psychological boost for a lot of patients that helps them get up off their feet and get them moving and then give them trail mix, candy bar or other snack. If they've got snacks that they brought, it's like, encourage them to eat it, right? It's like, yeah. Oh, I've got this peanut butter and honey sandwich. Oh, delicious. Eat that
1: fool, right? You should have done that a while or ago. I will. One of the two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> it's hard hiking into you while you're sitting here being all cold. Like, man, I need yeah. some calories too. So you eat it yeah. or I will because now I've got exertional fatigue, a negative caloric balance, <laughs> and probably
0: sleep <laughs> deprivation, right? So so with that, that basically covers our, our discussion for the day, right? So big one. And again, this is going to vary by your patients. Don't just go off this one podcast. You got to look at your patient look at the whole thing, right? But giving high calorie warm fluids is good, right? It's a bit of a psychological boost. It provides some additional calories that they need. To continue mm-hmm. thermogenesis, the making of heat. They got to be able to have the energy to shiver. And that helps stave off continuing to go down that hypothermia curve. And that's what we want to do. So, big ones, you, everybody's got to remember, you still got to treat that initial cause. And the initial cause was exposure to the cold, right? Perhaps they fell yeah. in and got wet, or it there out. In, or Mike and I are mid Atlantic. We get sleet and literally freezing rain and crazy stuff that just sweeps on in when you thought you were going to get some, we'll call it average rain. And if that's the case, man, you got to try and get them out of that environment if possible. Got to get them dry. Got to get them insulated. And you got to get them evacuated. Even mild hypothermia, you need to get them out, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. This is not a condition where it's like, oh, okay, you're feeling good now? All right, peace, later. Because if they don't continue to move and they don't have the ability to continue to make more energy, if they've depleted their reserves, you gave them a quick boost, they look good, but then you leave and... 40 minutes later down the trail, they're crashing again, you're just going back, right? So you still need to evacuate these people. I mean, you got to consider our environment.
1: We still have to extricate. We still have to get out of the environment we're in and get to a better place.
0: Yeah. Uh, Remember, basics here. Mike mentioned it, right? BLS skills. This is a big area for BLS skills, right? So if ALS providers, if you've got warm fluids and you can give them a bag of warm fluid, yes. But remember, that's not what's going to help them with their hypothermia. That's just helping battle their probable state of dehydration. So ABCs especially airway and breathing, right? the patient can't maintain their own airway, you obviously aren't going to be giving them food or hot beverages. So if they can't do that, then
1: no soup for you. Yeah, that'll That's be a different discussion when you can't yep. orally intake things. <laughs> yeah,
0: right. So provide those calories, hot beverages, if possible. Cold, technically, just as good, right? So if you had the option of hot water or a cold Mountain Dew, the calories are where it wins. So you give them the cold Mountain Dew or carbonated sugar beverage of choice these can be non-caffeinated right sugar water it's the key Uh, i'm not exactly advocating boil up a pot of sugar water either but sure go for it i mean i mean i mean maybe it tastes good i don't know oral glucose might be an option here it's it is sugar it's designed to increase your your blood glucose levels if that's what you've got it technically should be hypoallergenic so Mm -hmm. it's something Mm -hmm. to consider some other simple tricks too for you trying to outfit your first aid kits, especially for my lay responders, whiffers and woofers that may not have access to other, we'll call it EMS level sugars, which really isn't much, but things like cake frosting, plain, simple cake frosting, little tubes of it, and let your patient suck down one of those, man. That's nothing but sugar, right? So, and, and it's again, delicious. It's, and it, yeah, you get nice, get them a chocolate, get them some strawberry, vanilla. There are other uh-huh. little things like that, right? That you can have with you to give simple calories to folks. Now, remember, those are generally small tubes. They're not going to give you a lot, but it's a little bit of something. Okay. It's really more of a, it's more of a help for people having mild diabetic emergencies. But if that's what you've got and you've got some handy or some little honey packets you carry with your cook kit. Yeah. Give that stuff out, right? Those good, simple sugars is what they need. And we've talked I think enough about the uh, use of warm fluids. It is superior to room temperature or colder fluids. Uh, To help maintain their core temp. Now, we will put out the caveat that if you've got a cold bag of normal saline that's been sitting in the top lid of your backpack and it's 40 degrees out and you have a 42 degree bag of fluid, man, unless they really need the fluids, do not put
1: that in, right? Because that will help cool them faster than warm them. That would be... The medical term for that is contraindicated. Yes, it would be like, right. They need to need the fluid more than they need to be warm. And we are treating a person that is by definition cold. So it's probably not the primary way you want to give them the fluid.
0: Yeah. So here's here's something that goes with that. Just remember this. It's way easier to cool somebody down than it is to heat them up. Yeah. Uh, that That's is a what really it good is. Mantra,
1: actually. It's way yeah. easier to cool them down. It's true. Yeah.
0: So you gotta be washing that. So even if they need the fluids. Uh, If all you've got is a cold bag of saline, the answer to that, sir, is no, right? Unless they absolutely desperately must have the volume, then now stay away from that stuff. In which case, you better be working some other things. All right. Any other uh, thoughts
1: on the topic, Michael? No, man, I think we nailed it. Just to throw out what I'll call the the, the summarization in my mind is BLS before ALS. Oh, absolutely. Warmer stuff is better than not warmer stuff. Calories win. Once again and don't overlook the simple things shivering is good for you don't try to stop shivering support the act of shivering that's yeah. what will warm you up faster than anything else support shivering and that means yeah, and, calories and uh, to our to our
0: friends out there our wellness first daters wellness first responders cuz i know we have a few of those that listen right Two. this is Actually, well within your too yeah. <laughs> this is well within your wheelhouse right as as yeah. wellness first aid or wellness first responder if you're out there on you know like sar teams and you find that lost person who's cold Hey, man, you, you know how to do this. Hot beverages, yep. get up some snacks. Like Mike said, the BLS before ALS. So this applies. Don't think that you can't do stuff, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. All right, gang, I think that's it. So uh, with that, we're going to wrap it up. We have a whole bunch of great series coming here in the near future. A whole bunch of educational material that we're going to be dropping the noise on. So I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Keep listening. Later. Peace. If you have any questions or comments or ideas for show topics, you can send us an email at the show at emsonthemountain.com or hit us up on social media. We can be found on Facebook and Instagram at EMS on the Mountain, Twitter at EMSOTM, or you can engage with us and a whole community of Wilderness EMS professionals at locals.com slash wilderness EMS.
0: Until the next episode, thanks for joining us. And until we see you on the mountain, train hard, be safe and do good work.